Welcome friends, my name is Debbie Lawrence and with the start of season two, this is episode 23 of the Compassionate Leader School podcast. I'm a huge fan of Harriet Lerner's teachings and this is one of my favorites of her quotes. If we could only listen with the same passion we feel about needing to be heard, but we don't, we are much more interested in enhancing our talking skills than enhancing our listening skills. That is so true. You know, I always teach that all roads lead back to communication and listening, listening effectively is an integral part of the whole communication experience. Look, I've said this before and I'll say it again and again. What I know for sure is that more than anything, people are hungry to know that they matter. And how we demonstrate to someone that they matter to us is that we show them that they are heard, respected, and validated. I truly believe that one of the most important An impactful gift that you can give somebody else is to give them your undivided attention and to really put in the work to hear them when they're talking to you, when they're sharing, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, to just really be present and do whatever it is that we can so that in our efforts, we are demonstrating that I am listening to you and I'm working to understand what it is and why you are sharing that from that particular perspective. Now, when I teach fundamental communication skills and kind of do communications 101, naturally we talk about listening, we talk about active listening. Today I want to talk about how we listen autobiographically and where that's appropriate and how we need to switch and listen with empathy at those really critical times and and how we can move back and forth between them. Okay, I know that sounds like a lot, but it's a little complicated. Let me back it up. As human beings, we, it's like we're hardwired to listen autobiographically. And what I mean when I say that we listen autobiographically, it's, it's because when we listen to people, We have a natural inclination to want to interpret what the other person is saying through our own filters. We filter everything through our own stories, our own experiences, our biases, our prejudices, our values, all of those things. And for the most part, in sort of our, what I call, you know, 90% of our communication in the run of the day is casual, routine, regular conversation. Did you, um, did you get that report done? Did you see that television special last night? Oh my gosh, they've got chicken on sale at Sobeys. I've got to get over and get some. And how did your kid make out at the soccer tryouts last night? That's regular routine, everyday conversation. But I'm talking about those times when it's more than that. So going back to listing autobiographically, In a general context, when we listen autobiographically, it's like, you know, if you could imagine one of those monitors, a heart monitors, you know, it it could spike up or spike down or it just sort of hums along. For the most part, it hums along. Where it 
matters is when somebody is communicating with us about something that is really important to them, and particularly if they are emotional about it. And when I say emotion, it could be that they are frustrated, or they are puzzled, or they're angry, or they're confused, or they're perplexed, or they're ticked off, whatever that emotion is. The more heightened the emotion is, if we listen and respond autobiographically, what happens is that gets interpreted as if we are listening with a view or an intention to simply respond and we're thinking about our own experiences because that's what it means to listen autobiographically. And basically, it comes across as if we're only allowing the speaker enough room to finish so that we can then express our own views and give our own advice. So as a result, it comes across to them as if we are making judgments about them. And um, in fact, you can say that in a nutshell, listening autobiographically is actually any attempt by you to make the conversation about you. And I don't mean that in a conceited or malicious way, but that is what it means to listen autobiographically. That's what we do. We filter it through. A person is sharing about some challenge they have at work and we're remembering a time when, oh my gosh, I lived that experience and I can't wait to tell you how I navigated it and got to the other side. So that's what happens, you see. When we listen autobiographically, we respond autobiographically. And there are four classic ways that we respond autobiographically. Number one, this is one strategy, and sometimes we use them in combination. But number one, we evaluate, which means that we demonstrate to the other person that we either agree or disagree with what they're saying. Now, this response can actually lead to conflict if you're not careful, because it leaves the person not only feeling unheard, they feel judged by you. And it's the one of any of these four autobiographical responses that can shut a person down and do it the fastest. So one is we're demonstrating that we are agreeing or disagreeing. And sometimes we'll do it with our with our body language, right? We're nodding or, you know, we use some facial expression or a combination of both to let the person know that we're either with them or we're, we're actually seeing it from a different perspective. So that's the first autobiographical response. The second one is that we fall into probing, which is where we get into asking a lot of questions. Sometimes people will call it the 20 question game. You know, you ask a question and you ask another question, another question. In, its, in and of itself, it's okay. But in this context, that's sort of just asking questions. Sometimes the person will say, was, I felt like they were asking me questions for the sake of asking questions and they weren't relevant and I didn't feel like they were going anywhere. And so in that case, I actually feel like you're more interested in just asking the questions than you are in making a real connection and really understanding me. So that's the challenge with probing. The third one is that we can fall into uh, the trap of wanting to give advice. And listen, who hasn't said, oh my gosh, I find it so frustrating whenever I talk to person X. Um, I'm not even finished telling them the whole story and they already start 
to give me advice. It's if they're trying to fix me or fix my problem. And that's the problem when we give advice. Because we're also giving this counsel based on our own experiences because we are responding autobiographically. Um, And so in the process of doing that, we're also making assumptions. And as I said just now, we're giving a solution before we have enough information even we don't even have all the information sometimes we don't even have enough information to even determine what the real problem is and if we're not careful we can also because we're giving advice prematurely get trapped into that role of the rescuer and find ourselves in the middle of a drama triangle which I talked about in a previous episode so we demonstrate that we either agree or disagree we do that probing 20 questions and or we give advice And or the fourth one is that we interpret, which is where we try to figure people out. And in the process, we're trying to explain their motives and their behaviors, but it's based on our motives and our behaviors. And I want to note that interpreting is not the same as paraphrasing. If you're familiar with paraphrasing, that's designed to actually facilitate understanding. But when we're interpreting, we're actually trying to put words in the other person's mouth rather than letting them speak for themselves. So as I said, it never works when a person gets emotional, when they're really upset or frustrated about something. I mean, just think about how often this is a factor when we're communicating with somebody, especially if they've sought us out to, to share how confused they are or perplexed they are or upset they are. And so if you, if you think about it, this is what happens. If, if I could, if you could see me like drawing on a board and you know, that, that, like that heart monitor, they're really spiked, you know? So what happens is they're sharing something with you and what they really want you to do is to just shut up. If I could be frank about it, just stop talking and let them finish what they're saying. Number one. And rather than be in your own head going, oh, I remember a time or that was me because I've had this experience, they want you to just be with them and to hear exactly what they're saying and to respond with empathy, which is the old try to put myself in somebody else's shoes, right? I want to try to see it from their perspective because when we demonstrate that, The act of listening and responding with empathy, it sounds very, very different. And it is empathy that allows us to make a connection with the other person. Um, um, There's this great scholar, Teresa Wiseman, who did a body of work around the qualities of empathy. And she identified that there were four specific qualities that were connected to demonstrating empathy. One was the ability to see the world as others see it. And if you think about it, in order to do that, you have to put yourself in someone else's shoes. In other words, you have to take your your own stories and experiences and perspectives and biases and values, your own stuff, in other words, and park it over here. And you really do have to step into it. Um, it's it, a really powerful question in dialogue between two people. Sometimes when you might the other person may sense that they're not really being heard is to uh, is for someone to say to them so tell me what you're seeing that I'm not seeing and tell me why you see it that way that's really really powerful so 
the quality of empathy of being able to see the world as other people see it, not the way you see it. Number two, and this is really hard to be non-judgmental, which of course is the complete opposite of responding in an emotional time with uh, an autobiographical response, as, as we've already talked about. And so that idea of being non-judgmental is important because a judgment of another person's situation discounts their experience and it comes across as an attempt to actually prevent our own selves from having to feel any discomfort because we don't want to have to think about it and so it's easier to sort of remove yourself from it and 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 place the judgment of that person on it the third quality is to understand another person's feelings so we have to be in touch with our own feelings again in order to understand someone else's feelings. And again, you see the theme, right? We have to put our own experiences, prejudices, values, all of that stuff, we have to put it aside. And finally, to be able to communicate our understanding of that person's feelings. So not only do we have to get right in our own head and our own heart and our own mind so that we are not looking at it through our own lens, it's tough to do, but then how we demonstrate that we have done that is how we respond with empathy rather than responding autobiographically. And this is what an empathic response sounds like. It's when you're able to say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just really glad that you shared this with me. Or you can say, it sounds like you're in a tough place. Tell me more about it. I want to understand. I want to learn more. Or I've been there and that really hurts. Just some way that you connect can connect with the person. And as um, as we learn, if you're familiar with Brene Brown's teachings uh, on this subject, I mean, she is the master of work on empathy and vulnerability. That there are some things that we should never say, like, um, you know, at least you. Right? Nobody wants to hear, well, at least you've got, if you've got a challenging employee, at least the other three are great. Like, how, how is that helpful? That is not helpful at all. Or the other one is, it could be worse. You know, it could be worse. It could be all of them and not just one of them. Again, it's just a, another variation of that previous ineffective response. And the one that I hear and it is not a very empathic response is when someone says, oh, that's a first world problem. You know, maybe what you're talking about is you're frustrated because, uh, you know, you, you are struggling to get a good deal on a brand new car. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, it's tough to be you at buying your brand new car, first world problem. But you know what? That is not helpful. And that is actually demonstrating that you're not able to hear them with empathy. You know, and as I talk about this, it's if you're trying to connect with what does it feel like well, when I get an empathic response or when I get an autobiographical response and, and I need an empathic response, just think of a time when you had to share something that was really personal to you. And that typically means that it was also a very vulnerable thing to have to share with somebody. And you felt as though the person didn't, get it they didn't get you or they didn't understand or they judged you like just think about how that would have felt you had a challenge in the workplace maybe an interpersonal issue with a co-worker and you went to your supervisor 
and you had a conversation and they were not empathetic at all and just tried to give you advice and, and they didn't really understand the scope of it or um, they tried, you said, oh, I felt like I was being psychoanalyzed. I just wanted to be heard. And then I want you to think about a time when you had to share something that was really vulnerable for you to share. It was really personal for you. And the person that you chose to share it with was able to demonstrate that they saw you and they heard you and they understood you and they responded appropriately. How did that make you feel? I think that's really helpful to understand that because you know that you're doing it right because empathy, when you, we give, when we when we listen and respond empathically, we are able to make a connection, like a real heartfelt connection with another human being. And you know, when we're looking for connection and empathy, we also have to think about who are we going to. You know, I've shared the expression, "Don't go to the post office if you're looking for milk." So you also have to be thoughtful and strategic about who you're going to approach when you're actually looking for that empathy. But I almost also want to say to you, particularly if you're in a leadership role, and hey, I'm talking about not just in the workplace, but we may be in leadership roles when we have children, when we have family, when we have friends, and they look to us. Uh, we have opportunities and a responsibility to practice empathy. And you, you want to think about whether or not if you need to share something with someone and you're looking for an empathic response, has that person earned the right to hear my story? Not everybody has, or not everybody has, has the right to hear the story with that level of intimate detail. So you have to be practical about that as well. And here's the other thing I want to make you aware of. You may have an interaction with someone and you can tell right away that they are, are spiked in some way, that they are emotional about this. So you want to respond with empathy. Then once you respond with empathy, what naturally happens because you make that connection is they start to settle. So if you could see that those sort of that, um, those spikes on the chart, the spikes get uh, uh, lower and lower and lower. And then it's almost like they start to settle. It's almost like you can feel some magical point in the conversation where you've made the connection and the person has really felt heard and understood and as they and they start to settle back in and it's almost like they come back to um to an emotional state where now we can start to have a real conversation about it you will often know uh, in terms of when i when i say a real conversation i mean a, a progressive conversation we can start to talk about a strategy and a potential approach and i was going to say you may know that you've gotten there when the person says oh, okay so um beth like i don't know like what do you think i should do now you see now now that they've settled down they are inviting you to respond autobiographically by giving your advice. Now their ears are open to it. See, when they're emotional, they're, they're defensive and their ears are closed in. They cannot be reflective. They cannot hear what you need to say at that level at that time. But once they settle, now they actually invite an autobiographical response. So it's not that it's never appropriate. It's about you got to know when to use it. And now you can offer advice or they may say, I don't know what to do. And you may say, 
let's let's explore this. I, I, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you. I'm just looking for some clarity. So that might be the desire to try to um, to do some probing, and then along with giving advice and demonstrating agreement or disagreement, like you can use a combination of those to help them get to the other side. And I want to make you aware of this. Don't be surprised. So the person comes to you. They're very emotional. You respond empathically. You get them settled down. And then they uh, find themselves in a situation where they approach you and they say, you know, what do, what do you think? I really want to have your advice. And so you're giving them your advice. And then in the process of giving advice, you might spike them up again. So somebody comes to you and they're frustrated about uh, a situation they have with a coworker. They get settled and you say, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I really think that the starting point, though, is that you need to go and have a conversation with Bill. And they go, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to talk to Bill because. So they're going to spike up. When they spike up, you now have to come back and respond empathically. No sense staying with you giving your advice because they cannot hear that. You need to say, you know what, I hear, I, I can hear your frustration again. And I, I listen, I hear you. I, 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 I can sense how challenging it's going to be to have to go back and have a conversation. I hear he's not an easy person to connect with. And I hear that you feel like it's not fair that you're the one that has to do that. I completely get that. I hear that and I'd feel the same way too if I were in the same situation. Then the person's like, okay, okay, okay. And they may go, okay, no, look, look, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know I have to go to have the conversation. I just don't want to have the conversation. Say, I know you want to have the conversation and they'll come and settle. And then now you can move forward and offer your advice, AKA respond autobiographically and they will be able to hear you. So really think about what it takes to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. There's this uh, great example of this uh, story about Marlon Brando when he was um, in acting school. I think it was in his very first year and he was in a class, an acting class, and um, all the students in the class had been instructed to act like chickens and then they were given an additional instruction, which was that a nuclear bomb was about to fall on them. And so you can imagine most of the actors in the class were clucking and they were running around wildly and, and demonstrating that they were uh, upset about the fact that this nuclear bomb was about to land on them. But the instructor noticed that Brando just sat calmly and pretended that he was laying an egg. And at the end of the exercise, the instructor asked him why he chose to react that particular way, as, as if a nuclear bomb was not falling. And Brando says, I'm a chicken. What do I know about nuclear bombs? Now, if you think about that, this highlights the fact that Marlon Brando was able to truly put himself in the place of a chicken while... I'm going to say the, the, the actors who weren't as intuitive, they weren't as skilled about being able to really connect with life as a chicken, um, were going crazy in the room, clucking and 
you know, flapping their wings and doing what they perceived the chicken would do. But Brando was able to let himself go in, deeply into the life of being a chicken, um, so that he could fully enter that world. That's what it's like to listen with empathy and to respond with empathy. When you're listening empathically, you experience life as the other, so you have to fully enter their world. And that's the most essential place to be if you really need to, to want to make that connection and help them. All right, my compassionate leaders, here's your take action challenge for this week. I want you to seek out opportunities to practice listening empathically. Like look for those special openings. And I also want you to notice how often and how quickly you fall into one of the four classic autobiographical responses in your conversations. And when you do, see how quickly you can transition to listening and responding with empathy. Once you get it, once you figure out how to do it, you're going to see a, a positive difference in the quality of your conversations and I believe in the quality of your relationships. And finally, as always, I want to remind you, if you haven't done so already, please go to my website, debbielawrence.ca and sign up for this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a comment or write a review. I really, really would appreciate it. Until next time, here's to giving ourselves permission to show up as open, fierce, and compassionate leaders, and always to living life abundantly. Bye for now. Thank you.